0: more. I'm learning to stop viewing prayer as a method that I use to get a reward. Instead, prayer itself is the reward. More on that in this week's episode of Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Wade Joy, and I have the incredible honor of being your guide on this journey to embrace a life lived in the freedom of surrender. Now, I know when you hear freedom and surrender, those two words don't usually go together. They can seem like opposites, because when someone is surrendering, they're giving up their freedom. But Dreamers and Disciples is all about learning and exploring how, as followers and disciples of Jesus, it's in the giving up of control and opening our hands in trust that we're finally free to receive all that God wants us to experience as His children. Uh, this tension between freedom and surrender was on display for me earlier this year in a very unique way when I went to spend a weekend at a monastery uh, in the area outside of Charleston, South Carolina, uh, in Monk's Corner. And last week uh, in our episode, I explained about why I spent four days there in silence and solitude and prayer, and how transformational of an experience it was for me. And coming out of those four days, there were 10 main lessons that I learned. And so I shared the first five of those lessons in last week's episode, and they all were basically centered around this one truth, that your soul desperately needs silence and solitude for it to be healthy. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that, but I'll help you out here and recap those five lessons right here. Uh, Number one, I learned that I'm too attached to my phone. I know that's not a huge revelation there, but God really showed me how attached I was and how to break free from that or some steps towards breaking free from that when I was at the monastery. Uh, The second lesson was there's beauty all around that I tend to miss because I'm not looking for it. Maybe you can relate to that as well. How journaling helps me access a different part of hearing from God, Uh, tunes my heart in a different way. How God can send me what I need when I need it. There was a really uh, very specific word God gave me through a complete stranger that answered two things that I was praying about specifically that weekend. And then how the messiness of my inner world doesn't scare God. And that was such a freeing word uh, from the Lord for me. And so go back, listen to that episode And while you're at it, subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes. Uh, I'd love for you to to be on this journey week after week with us as we seek uh, God in a new way and learn how to be disciples in a world that really tells you that life is about yourself. Um, And discipleship is realizing that we were never meant to be the center of our own world. And it's when we place Christ at the center that we can truly dream the dreams God has for us and walk in the freedom of surrender. All right, so now that you've subscribed, now that you've gone back and you've listened to last week's episode, let's dive in to the final five lessons that I learned at a monastery in February of 2022. Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory just about my life that are going to frame up some of these lessons. I grew up in a small Southern Baptist church. Uh, The Protestant evangelical church is is my tradition that I've grown up in. Uh, I'm 46 years old now and and that has been my background as a follower of Jesus. Uh, My granddad was a pastor. My family all served in this small church that he planted growing up, and and that was my world, and that was my experience. And apart from a class I took in college where I attended Catholic Mass and then an Eastern Orthodox Church service, which I was fascinated by both, uh, I didn't grow up with much exposure to other church traditions in the body of Christ. And in the last 15 years, I've been very much centered in the modern evangelical church movement. I was the worship pastor at Elevation Church for 15 years, which we still attend. And uh, while there's, I know there's been a lot in the news over the last few years about um, maybe the the weaknesses of the, the mega church movement and the modern evangelical movement. And yes, there are weaknesses there and there's problems in every tradition, um, but there are also many strengths and many beautiful parts about it. And You know, millions of lives have been changed through church today um, with all of its flaws, with all of its problems, and God changed my life and is changing my life through the local church. I love the local church and all of its messiness. I think we need to be committed to it as followers of Jesus to make it healthy and make it a reflection of what Jesus intended it to be. And so I'll just speak from what I know. But, but here's something that really has become apparent to me over the last two years, and especially in, in a different way in these four days that I spent at Mepkin Abbey in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And that is, it is so easy for us to think in modern Christianity, in the modern church movement, that somehow we have perfected Christianity. You know, we realize we didn't invent it, but sometimes we act like we invented it. Uh, now, every, like I said, every generation of the church has strengths and weaknesses, and so we see reformation and revival in every expression of church, but there's also blind spots. And I think one of those blind spots for our generation of church is that we act like we have finally made Christianity relevant to people, that Christianity was not relevant until we came along with our slick services and our cover songs. And, you know, we finally made Jesus palatable to people. And there's um, definitely value. And contextualizing the the gospel, and helping show that there's life and joy in Christ, and that following Jesus is not some um, dead routine. And so, in every time and every culture, God wants us to figure out how do we communicate the gospel in a way that speaks specifically to that culture. But in doing that, sometimes we think that we're the ones who finally cracked the code and have made. The gospel finally relevant to people, and in doing that, we forget that there is so much that we can learn from other traditions. Um, there's so much that we can learn from our past, uh, both the the strengths and the weaknesses, the successes and the failures of the church throughout the last two thousand years, and we need to really learn from those who came before us, whether that's our elders or within our own tradition or even outside of our tradition. And when we just get so caught up in the way we do things in our own methods, and we don't look back and learn from the rich history of the fathers and the mothers of the faith over the last 2,000 years, then we have stunted our own growth as followers of Jesus. And so church history and the stories, like I said, of the fathers and mothers of the faith, they're full of wisdom and guidance and the opportunity for us to be discipled and our thinking to be challenged. And so we are part if you're a follower of Jesus we are part of a large and diverse 2000-year-old family called the church. So the modern church we did not perfect Christianity and I know that's more that's very obvious now when you see you know all the the failings magnified on the news. Now unfortunately we don't see all the beautiful amazing things that God is doing through the church all over the world. We don't see that in our headlines or in our Instagram feeds, we only see the problems. So it's important to remember God is doing something beautiful through His church. But yes, there, there are weaknesses in every every tradition, every time period, um, and there's also beautiful things. So we need to learn from it all. So our modern church, we've, we've tried to contextualize Christianity, but in some ways we forget to learn from the traditions before us. And so over the last... Um, Two years, I've tried to do more and more to inform myself of, of you know, the teachings of of people from from different traditions within the body of Christ, from different denominations, um, from a lot of the desert fathers and mothers in the past, and more of the the, the Catholic tradition and the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Uh, I'm trying to learn from them learn from their contemplative prayer practices outside of what is, is more common in the current evangelical church experience. Um, I'm wanting to, to learn from people who came before me and learn from their strengths and their weaknesses and try to incorporate what I can in my own modern life. And so as I went into this weekend with all that kind of setup there, as I went into this weekend at the monastery, I was putting myself in a, in a tradition that I was not familiar with. Uh, I was not familiar with What do you do during Mass? Um, What does communion look like in that tradition? How how do you pray? How do you sing through the Psalms in a a church service? All of that was new for me, but it was very, very uh, eye-opening and stretching and um, just a very rich experience that I, I really loved and God moved in my life. And so these are five lessons all kind of centered around that, that God spoke to me. Some of these aren't gonna seem very eye-opening or um, revelatory, but for me, they were important. And maybe they will be for you too, I hope. Number one, intimacy with God doesn't cancel out reverence for God. Intimacy with God doesn't cancel out reverence for God. So this is one of those things that I think that in a good way we've emphasized in you know, the church in the last 20 years or so, 30 years, is that God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be intimate with us. But in focusing on that, sometimes we downplay the fact that we're coming into the presence, yes, of our Savior and our friend in Jesus, but we're also coming into the presence of the Almighty God, the Creator, Of the heavens and the earth a holy god and what i was really struck by uh that weekend as i attended a lot of the the prayer services and i attended sunday mass is just the the reverence towards god the sense of mystery the reverence in taking communion together the the sense of awe in the liturgy i love how every sense was engaged in worship and it really reminded me of in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And a lot of times in worship today, I can focus on the fact that that God is, is my friend, He's forgiven me, He saved me. He loves me, you know. His grace covers me. All of that is true and necessary, and that's what the gospel is all about. But it's also to remember that um, there is acceptable worship to God, and that is worship that places Jesus at the center, and that we should come with reverence and awe. So I love how also in Hebrews, Hebrews four verses fourteen through sixteen says, "Therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So because of Jesus as a holy God who became man, he experienced all of our weaknesses And because of His sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection, we can come with grace and confidence boldly uh, to the throne of God to receive mercy uh, in our time of need. So that is that beautiful dynamic at play as a Christian, as a redeemed follower of Jesus, that we worship with reverence and awe, yet we also worship with grace and confidence, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Uh, And knowing that we can call this holy God, we can call him Abba, Father. And so I think we need to hold both of those uh, in tension and in confidence as we come before God. And so not to come out of him with a a fear that makes us scared, but a fear, a holy fear that causes us to worship him with awe and reverence. And it magnifies the name of Jesus even more. All right, so that's the the first of, of these five. The second is this, my soul needs me to order my day around prayer the way I plan my day around food. Let me say it again. My soul needs me to order my day around prayer the way I plan my day around food. So what I loved about um my time uh, going to the the church services and the prayer services with the monks is there were seven fixed times of prayer a day, and some of them were short. Some of them were like twenty minutes, and it might be singing and praying through two or three psalms. You know, there there might be a a, a prayer that was in the liturgy that focused us on praying for certain needs in the community. There might be a short homily or, or scripture reading. But I loved how prayer was the focus. And there was a um, seven times a day, your soul was gonna be brought back um, in attention. Your, your, your The eyes of your soul, the eyes of your heart were gonna be brought back to focusing on the Lord in prayer throughout the day. And what struck me is we all know that we basically, we plan our days around food. Um, you know, most of us are able to eat three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We plan social events around food because we know our body needs it. It needs it physically. But if prayer is what feeds our soul because prayer is what allows our hearts to open ourselves to communion with God and communion with the Holy Spirit, our soul desperately needs prayer. Then how much more do we need to center our hearts and to center our lives and our schedule and order that around what is most important, which is prayer. And I'm not saying that you have to pray seven times a day, but Paul does talk about prayer or pray without ceasing. And so some of that is having an attitude of prayer throughout the day. It's having you know, quick, maybe centering prayer that you have throughout the day where you're meditating on a scripture or you're you're doing something to get your thoughts towards the Lord. But I love what I've learned, not only through the monks there at the the monastery, but through reading people like Pete Scazzaro, who talks a lot about the daily office. And in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is one of the the best books that I've ever read in terms of the impact it's had on me, he talks about uh, this story that he read in a book called A Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer. And this is in chapter six of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he talks about how... uh, there were farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure that they could get safely home because sometimes these blizzards would come on very quickly, unexpectedly, and they would be so blinding and disorienting that people couldn't find their way back home. And without this rope, some of them would die feet just away from their front door because they couldn't see. And how for us, a lot of us might be, have, we might have rhythms of prayer in the morning, But once you get towards lunch, or sometimes you don't even make it to lunch, and your day is overwhelmed with stress and worry and meetings and unexpected um, tragedy in your life, and sometimes you can lose your bearing and you can lose your focus as a follower of Jesus. And so when we can have fixed prayer throughout the day, whether it's, you know, you have a time of prayer at the morning, and then maybe five minutes of prayer at lunch, and then you have another uh, in the evening. But if you can have these fixed times of, they don't even have to be long prayer, but short prayer, it can, it can be like the rope that brings us back home in our soul, and it can we can fix our day around what is most important and what really centers us. And here's what I've learned through that: that prayer isn't the method that we use just to gain a reward. It's not merely a method that we use to get what we want. Prayer itself is the reward. It's not a means to an end. It's through prayer that we open our hearts to communion with the living God. And so I need to orient my day around uh, my priorities. And what greater priority is there than prayer? And so I love how the, the monks built a structure, and they're part of a structure that monks all over the world use for this, where they ordered their day around prayer. And so I've tried to figure out ways to do that in my own life with having an alarm that goes off on my phone that reminds me around lunchtime to just take five minutes um, and either be in silence before God, to meditate on a scripture, to read a psalm, to, to pray the Lord's Prayer. A lot of times my wife and I will do a version of a prayer called the examine at night. We have our morning prayer, but I'm trying to find ways to incorporate that as well as just conversational and centering prayer throughout the day in my own life. And I'll I'll link to some resources in the show notes to help you. All right, lesson number three, there's power in praying through the Psalms. Now this kind of flows right out of that last one, but every church service or every prayer service that weekend, two or three Psalms would always be prayed through. And the Psalms were really the prayer book of Jesus. There's honesty in the Psalms. there's, There's trust there's frustration, there's there's fear, there's faith, there's all of it. It's it's a a heart open before the Lord. And what I love about praying through the Psalms is it helps not only give me voice to certain things that I'm feeling that I don't know how to actually pray through, but it also gives me permission to be honest with God about the reality of what I'm truly feeling. And it allows me to get outside of myself. Because if I'm reading a psalm of lament and praying through that, and I actually am having a great day. Well, I don't need to just skip over that Psalm, but what it does is it helps me think, okay, there are millions of people throughout the world that are going through tremendous suffering. So how can I stand with them in prayer and pray this prayer for them? And so it gets me outside of myself and outside of thinking that I am the center of the universe. And so if you're not feeling that way that day, who in your life is, pray that Psalm over them. Um, when you're praying through a psalm, think who in my life needs to hear this truth and then send them a voice memo afterwards and say, hey, I was was praying this psalm and I thought of you and I just wanna pray this over you right now. It's a great way to encourage other people. So it's not just about how it feeds your soul, but you can feed someone else's soul as you pray that over them. So you can stand in solidarity with Christians all all over the world as you pray a psalm uh, over them. And just there's power in a liturgy uh, of guiding you and helping you focus your scattered senses. Because if you're like me, most times when I go into prayer, my mind is on a thousand other things. And even if I start focused halfway through, something comes to my mind and I start thinking about it or worrying about it. But if I can just go back to the prayer that I'm, the the words that are on the page or on my phone, on on my Bible app, it helps reorient my focus back towards prayer. And so this summer, Uh, I've been praying Psalm 23, Psalm 62, and Psalm 90 virtually every morning, and then I usually pray a portion of a different psalm each day as well as part of either Lectio 365 or some other daily readings. And I'll probably change that up with the psalms that I pray daily soon, because with all of this stuff, it can be easy to take the heart out of it when it just becomes a daily routine. So I really encourage you, because I'm trying to do this myself, of Try to keep the value of a structure, keep the value of a routine, but then try to find ways to keep it alive and keep it living and active and put new things in that slot that you have for prayer and you know, pray through you know a, a part of the, the gospel, a different part of scripture um, if the Psalms for some reason are feeling dry and stale to you. But don't lose the priority, don't lose the practice of prayer, but find different ways to keep it fresh. And so a liturgy, it provides structure, but also don't feel constrained by it either. Um, Continue to let your liturgy change and more for the different seasons of your life, but keep it anchored in God's Word. Keep it anchored in prayer. All right, lesson number four. We should seek wisdom from those who have the fruit of consistent faithfulness to Jesus and not be so enamored by the intoxication of charisma. I know that that was a lot. Even as I read it, I was like, "Wow, that was a long sentence." So let me say it again: We should seek wisdom from those who have the fruit of consistent faithfulness to Jesus, and not be so enamored by the intoxication of charisma. So, one of the things that I was struck by was just the peaceful presence of the monks, uh, just the present or the peace that just exuded from them from all the time that they spent in prayer and all the time that they spent in solitude. And once again, I'm not, I know they're not perfect, just like we're not perfect, but with it when a life is centered around prayer, there's just this peace um, that just, I, I could feel it and it permeated every interaction. Uh, and there was one who oversaw the retreat center that I spoke with for about 45 minutes one day for a spiritual direction session and just, His soft-spoken wisdom that came from a life of devotion to God just really struck me and how in our culture, it is so easy to put charisma on a pedestal. It's so easy to aspire to fame and to put giftedness as as the thing that we're all working towards. But here were some people who had said, no, the goal in my life is going to be knowing Jesus, and it's going to be prayer, and it's going to That's not a means to an end. It's the end in and of itself. So their passion was worship and prayer. It wasn't fame or a platform. And so as a generation, I think we have got to realize how we have prioritized and elevated the wrong things. Now, charisma can be great, and giftedness is awesome because those are given by God when they are in their proper place and when they are serving the right priorities. But we have got to stop elevating those as the goal and the mark of success in the body of Christ, we we need to orient our lives around knowing Jesus, and then bringing all of our gifts, all of our crowns, all of our personality to Him, and saying, "God, I want You to use this for Your glory, not to bring attention to myself." And let me just say this too, because that doesn't mean that every that you have to be perfect to be used by God. It doesn't mean that you have to have your heart exactly right and you can't struggle with ego or God's not going to use you. And it doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people who are struggling in their journey. Uh, look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So I think one of the things we also have to keep in mind as we are, are looking at the church today and we're laying our own lives before God is yes, we need to pursue humility. We need to to pursue holiness. We need to bring reformation and repentance to the areas that are not in line with God's word and where we have placed ourselves at the center. But in doing so, we need to to walk with grace and realize that, that I'm on a journey. You're on a journey. Everybody who is in pastoral leadership is on a journey. And so we need to give the same grace to others that we give to ourselves, still holding ourselves accountable and people accountable for actions, but also realizing that even in our mess, even in the times where we get it wrong and we put ourselves at the center, God still uses any time His gospel is preached, whether it's preached out of selfish ambition or it's preached out of pure motives. When Christ is preached, the Holy Spirit moves. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to judge their motives. I'm just happy that that Christ is preached. So I think that's another important thing to keep in the conversation today, that as we learn from each church tradition and the strengths and the weaknesses, and as we look at our own lives and think, gosh, I've had it wrong so many times in my life where I know my ego was leading and I was wanting to make it about me. God still used it because He is God and He's full of grace. And that makes me want to bring my heart to Him even more. That makes me want to humble myself even more when I realize how good and grace-filled Jesus is and how kind and compassionate He has been with me. And so I want to extend that to others as well. Um, But the, the main lesson of this is I want to learn and glean wisdom from someone who has lived a life of faithful devotion and dependence on Jesus. I want to learn from somebody who didn't just um, do something flashy once. Um, I wanna see somebody who's actually built a life of consistency and character and humility. Once again, who's not perfect, who's had some rough seasons, but I've seen them endure and I've seen them weather those rough seasons and I've seen them cling to Jesus even when it hurts. Those are the people that I wanna learn from. And so I think we've got to evaluate in the body of Christ who we look to as heroes. I'm not saying every hero has to be a monk. I'm not saying that every hero has to live in obscurity. But I think that there are many people who whose names will never um, come across your Instagram feed. Um, they will never walk across a stage, but they are true heroes in the faith because of how much they love jesus how devoted they are to christ and how they live that out in their day-to-day lives whether it's on a stage or whether it's in obscurity there are godly and humble people that god in his wisdom has elevated to great influence but there's also a lot of godly and humble people whose names you will never know and i think we need to to celebrate the heroes that are in your life that you take for granted Um, so let's really look and celebrate the right types of people in our lives and really make sure that they feel that love and that appreciation. All right, and here is the final lesson. This is, life is found in abiding in Christ, not in amassing accolades, accomplishments, or affluence. Life is found in abiding in Christ, not in amassing accolades, accomplishments, or affluence. And that sounds kind of simple, but it really is a summary of everything that I've shared in the last two episodes that I was really struck by people who have centered their life in saying, the goal of my life is to know Christ. And honestly, as believers, that's all of our shared goal. We live it out in different ways. We each have different assignments, different callings, um, different uh, seasons in life, but we are all called to know Jesus and to invite other people into that same relationship. And that is where eternal life is found. John 17, three says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That means eternal life isn't somewhere down the road. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life now. Yet we sometimes get so distracted from the life that God wants to give us and the life that God offers us in the here and now because we're chasing accolades. We're chasing accomplishments. We're chasing fame. We're chasing material possessions. And all of those can be great gifts from God to be used for His glory, but they are the wrong goal. Chase or pursue and rest in the real goal, the real prize, and that is life in Christ. Don't chase the lesser thing when you already have the greater thing. Let me read John 17, three, one more time. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right, let me uh, recap these five lessons one more time. Uh, intimacy with God doesn't cancel out reverence for God. My soul needs me to order my day around prayer the way I plan my day around food. There's power in praying through the Psalms. We should seek wisdom from those who have the fruit of consistent faithfulness to Jesus and not be so enamored by the intoxication of charisma. And life is found in abiding in Christ, not in amassing accolades, accomplishments, or affluence. I believe God is calling us to humble ourselves once again, and as a people of God, both in our individual lives and in our gatherings, our our church communities, to once again realize that that we can never place ourselves in the center to find life. Life is found when we orient our life around Christ, around knowing Him, around loving Him, and around extending that love to other people. And I believe that for me, this experience helped put into perspective a lot of the ways that my life was ordered around the wrong priorities. And so over the last seven or eight months, I've tried to reorder my life in some very small ways, some simple ways, and some bigger ways, and say, God, I want my life to reflect what is truly most important. And I get it wrong a lot of the time, um, but God in His grace and His mercy is very, very patient with me. And He extends that same grace and mercy to you as you try to adopt rhythms of prayer and contemplation and silence and corporate worship. As you, as you prioritize and position your life around the things that matter to God, you will find that you will find a life and a peace and a joy that you've never experienced before. I truly, truly believe that. So thanks for being with me on today's episode and the last two episodes as we've learned a little bit about my experience uh, on this four-day prayer retreat. Once again, I wanna encourage you to subscribe uh, so you can get these episodes every week. And if what I've talked about today really hit home for you, I do have a free ebook on my website, uh, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. The website is WadeJoy. W-A-D-E-J-O-Y-E dot I'll link it in the show notes. But I can't wait to see you back here next week for Dreamers and Disciples.